Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, I'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll just read the first couple of verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Abram said, to, said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for just the wonderful music that lifts our hearts up to you and praises to you. Lord, and now we, it is our privilege to look into your word and I, I pray that you would be honored and glorified as we handle the text and as we look at things today that are pertinent to our world around us. Lord, may we apply these things to our life, to our heart, and allow us to take action on these things that we hear today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've already mentioned that this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. That means 50 years ago, actually today, January the 22nd, the Supreme Court established the right, now just listen to the terminology here, the right for women, for a woman to have an abortion. It's a, it's a right to kill babies in the womb. And of course, the church saw that 50 years ago and they saw that as an evil practice, as Justin mentioned in his prayer, and we have been fighting against that ever since, for 50 years. And last summer, back in the summer, the Supreme Court overturned that national law. And that, that was a, a major step. This Roe versus Wade was overturned, and it put the control of abortion back down into the state's hands, took it out of the national level and put it down to the state's control. It's the Dobbs decision is what it was it's called. And it states that the United States, just acknowledging that the United States Constitution does not confer a right to have an abortion. There is nothing within the Constitution that says, yes, you have the right to have an abortion. And many people see that as a, a victory. And it is, we may say, a, a small victory, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't finish the job for the pro-life side. It, it doesn't abolish the practice of abortion. It's not so much a victory. There's still 75% of the states are uh, have legalized abortion of some form or another. Basically, all it did is shifted the uh, battlefield from a national level, brought it down to a state level. And that's really the way we need to see that. Now, what does that mean for me and you? That means that you and I have a responsibility now. We're going to be faced with, with uh, laws that are going to be put on the books. We're going to vote, maybe vote into laws. And, and laws are going to be challenged on a state level. And we, that means we have to be a, a whole lot more aware of what's going on. And a whole lot more understanding of what... Uh, a true biblical understanding of children are. 
and this whole issue of abortion is. We need to be more aware because it's the control now is on a more of a local level as opposed to a national level. And we need to see it at that. And, and I, I would call us to, to be challenged and to understand what, what the Bible says. And I was amazed uh, this week as getting into the passage here, Genesis chapter 15. It's just the next passage that we've been looking at. We finished chapter 14 last week. And this week we, we see in this passage that Abram is, is um, he's desirous, he's desperate, you might say, for a child. Desperate for a child. And the Lord has blessed Abram in many, many ways, yet he is childless, childless, he says here. Abram's supposed to be a great nation. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation back in chapter 12. And yet he does not even have a child to carry his name to the next generation. He doesn't have that. And last week we saw that God, God gave victory over to Abram. These four kings, he was able to rescue Lot. And in this passage, the Lord is pointing out that, Abram, I'm going to be a shield for you. I'm going to protect you um, from any of the kings that might want to retaliate against you from from that previous battle he says i'm going to be your shield but notice abram's focus is not on so much that it's on his focus is upon a child a son an heir now from a biblical standpoint children are a blessing of the lord now we know that a child is something special a child is something to be be planned for it's a gift from the Lord in the context of a, of a committed relationship, marriage. It's a privilege to have children. And it's a wonderful thing to, to be able to have children in our church to dedicate to the Lord and have parents that want to train up their child in the way they should go. And as, as believers, as those who have, have people who have faith in God, and a loyalty to God's word, we need to see children from the biblical perspective. We need to have the biblical perspective and biblical understanding of the sanctity of life. We call it Sanctity of Life Sunday. And this raises some questions that I want to look at today. The main question being is, what does the Bible teach about human life? What does the Bible say? And I started listing some questions, and I come up with more questions than we can answer today. We're, we're going to look at four questions today that I think that will help us to, to dig a little deeper into God's Word, to help us to, to ground ourselves, to have answers, to, to be able to have conversations, to be able to, to vote in the, a proper way, but Primarily to understand these things from God's standpoint. We need to renew our mind and think biblically about these things. Now the first question, first question is what is sanctity of life? What is sanctity of life? The word sanctity, it just means holy. If you just look it up in the dictionary, it'd be godly. But, uh, but that's not the way we're using it here. That's the way maybe the world use it. It's, uh, it would, um, the world would, would really kind of misunderstand this, this uh, idea of sanctity of, of life. The word sanctity is, is more from a biblical standpoint. 
And it's the same word that we get our word sanctification. But it just simply means to set apart. We are set apart from the world. We're set apart unto God. It means to be separated or set apart. It means to be distinct or unique. And so there's two parts to what we believe, to this sanctity of life. Uh, we would say that the first part is that human life is set apart from all the other uh, elements of God's creation, all the animals and all the other the, the trees, the nature that God has created. Human life is set apart from that. It's unique. And, and we would add to that and say it would have intrinsic value. It's important. It's elevated. And it's, it's, um, it has value built into it. Now, abortion, on the other hand, devalues life. It doesn't appreciate life. It devalues it. It makes it commonplace. It makes it essentially disposable. Scripture raises the value of life from a scriptural standpoint raises the value of life above that of God's creation, above the animals, above even the climate that we are in debate over today. But there's a second part to this, too. So we're set apart, intrinsic value. Believers, we would we would add to that and we would believe that all human life deserves equal protection so if it's elevated, it, it deserves, it needs to be protected. It's life. It's valuable. So it, it must be protected. From the point of conception, we would say. From the very point of, of the egg and the sperm coming together, that point of fertilization, all the way to the point of natural death. Even our older people deserve protection. That life is sacred from conception to, to death. That life is sacred, set apart, just because it's human life. Uh, abortion, on the other hand, is, is taking that life. Is, is taking that life in the womb, just in the womb. The only difference is it's in the womb as opposed to outside of the womb. That's why it's abortion. It's a softer term. Abortion is really not terminating a pregnancy. It's not a mother's right to choose. It's a, it, it is essentially murder. That's what it is. It's murder inside the womb. And it's a, it's a baby there. And, and that baby has a right to be protected. That's what we would believe. So we would believe in the sanctity of human life. Second question. Second question. Why is man's life set apart? Right? Why is this so? Why are we any different from the animals or any other of God's creation, God's kingdom? Let me give you a list. I think there's six that I'm going to point out here. These things make us unique. Why are we set apart? Let me give you, let me give you a few. Uh, turn back to Genesis chapter 1. In verse 26, we see the first one right off of the bat. Then God says, this is Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, then God said, let us make man, how? In our image. That's the first reason that we're set apart, is we are in the image of God. We have God's image stamped on our life. That sets us apart. That gives us dignity. 
That, that makes us unique from the animal cre- uh, kingdom and any of the other uh, creatures that God has created. We're set apart because God's image is stamped on our life. The next one, number two, is in verse 27. And God created man in the image, or in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, remember, if you remember back, that God created each one of them individually. He didn't just call them into existence like he did the rest of the uh, animal kingdom or the world. He created them individually. That sets us apart. Male, female, he created them individually. And because of that, we're set apart. It gives us a, another reason. Each individual, one of our parents, Adam and Eve, he created individually. It's wonderful. Makes us unique. Makes us separated. The next chapter, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we see another one. Then the Lord God formed Man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Why are we set apart? Why are we so unique? Because of we have a living soul. That man became a living being, a living soul, a spirit within within this body. So we're set apart because of that. That's the immaterial part of of man. The part of man that that science really has no explanation for. They can't explain it. How did we get a conscience? How how did we get this soul or spirit within us? It comes from God. Sets us apart. None of the other animals have that. Number four. There's another one. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The Lord Lord, uh, God blessed him, that's Adam and Eve, them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We're set apart by God to be in charge. We're the ruling class of, of God's world, God's creation, even the animal kingdom. We are set above that. We are to rule over them. They are to submit to us. That's the, that's the reality. Sets us apart, makes us to sink. Number five, on top of that, God created laws to protect human life that he did not protect animal life. In Genesis chapter nine, verse five, surely I will require your life blood from every beast. So if a beast would kill a person, that beast is to be put down, to to be killed. I will require it and from every man from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. So if, so if, if a person takes a life, then his life is to be taken as well. In fact, he reiterates that in poetic form in verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed because he is in the image of God. So there's laws to protect human life, human life. Laws to protect that. And that's a wonderful thing. God created these laws. In fact, He created the Ten Commandments uh, for man. For man. Not just tradition, but to protect man. Now, let me give you one more. This is the sixth reason. is because that God permitted the killing of other animals. You cannot kill man 
But you can kill the other animals. If you look in the same passage, Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. And I give it to you as I gave you the green plants. Just like you could eat the green plants, you can now eat the, the animals. You can kill them and eat them. And I thank the Lord for that. I love bacon, right? That sets us apart. We, with no consequences, we can have bacon and eggs. I can, I can have a roast when I get home today. I can have steak because of that. With no consequences. It's a wonderful thing. That sets us apart. We're, we're not just common animals. We are set apart. There's intrinsic life. Now, we know this because this is the whole basis for salvation, isn't it? Christ didn't come to save the animal kingdom. He didn't come to save the, the planet. He came to save the human race that was in sin. There's a, a value there. In fact, our, those who believe that our names are written in, in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. It's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. It elevates the human race. There's, there's a value to our life. And Scripture is not unclear on this, this issue. It's very clear. Mankind is set apart. Man, man's life is valued. One human race, not multiple human races, and all within that human race is equal. The, king is, the king's life is just as important as the servant's life. Each human being has intrinsic value in their life. It's built in. We don't assign value to their life, people's lives. People say black lives matter as though we can assign people's lives to, to matter. No, it, it, all life matters. They say that, and I, and I was listening to statistics this week. 38% of abortions are black babies. They say all life matters. And I think that's just sad. Human life matters. Human life is special before God and deserves to be protected. Number three, there's another question. Does the Bible indicate when life begins? Does the Bible indicate when life begins? Now, of course, the world is, is just going to ignore any kind of biblical truth, the truth that we would get from Scripture. And they would say this. They would say, well, philosophers have been debating the uh, when life begins, we've been debating that for thousands of years and we'll never come to agreement on this as though that were some kind of answer. As though we could just give up the debate because, well, we'll never come to a conclusion. That's not an answer. That's not a, that's not a reason to just give up. In fact, they ignore a whole lot of information. They ignore science even that supports that life begins at conception. Now, Paul is right when he just he says that uh, they they want to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't really want to hear from God. If they do hear from God, they're going to suppress that truth. Any kind of truth or facts that, that we would bring to the table, they're going to suppress that. So when does life begin? When does life begin? We can look at ultrasounds now. It's really amazing. In fact, on the front of your bulletin today... Uh, we, we have pictures, and those are ultrasound pictures. It's amazing what, how clear they are uh, today. That's, that's just science. 
But in that same group of scientists, there's confusion. This mechanistic worldview, this the Big Bang evolution, just the material world, that's all there is. There's really no value of life because all we do is live and die. If there's no soul, no value, no image of God, no protection from God, there's really no purpose and, and life has very little value. And therefore, when it comes to nailing down, when does life begin? You know, they don't really care. It's kind of arbitrary to them. It doesn't really matter. In fact, it can change. It can be adjusted. That kind of thing. And so, some for some time, you know, human life began when the heart, when we can detect a heartbeat. Then human life began, or maybe the first trimester. And then kind of on and on it goes. Today, the newest idea is, is not so much when life begins, but it's, it's when human, human beings begin, when they become human. There's a distinction. Somehow, I'm not sure how they do it in their mind, but they're looking for personhood. That's what they're looking for today. That's when a baby, and this is what they would say, is when the baby is uh, uh, can, can sense or, or be aware of the, the surroundings around him, the things that are, that are around him. Peter Singer, one of the professors at Princeton University, he kind of defines it as this self-awareness. When a baby becomes self-aware and aware of the solid elements around him in, in his life. And they would go on to, to say that the brain, when the brain is being able to, to be used to inform to a, a created I, idea of how to survive. So, so, so the baby is processing things. And when the baby becomes, okay, I'm a, I'm a human, becomes aware that he's a human, uh, becomes aware that uh, he's in this surrounding here and uh, then how to protect himself. That, that's almost ridiculous. In fact, that opens the gate for what? After birth, killing the baby after birth. Because what baby comes to that conclusion before birth in utero? So they're, they're just opening the gates here. Now, Scripture is clear on this point as well. People inside, person inside the womb is at conception, we see in Scripture, is a person. There's three, three things I want you to see. Three key, key passages here. And they all start with P. The first one is personhood. Personhood. Now, Job talks about this in Job chapter 31, verse 15. He, he talks about being fashioned. That person is becoming an identity there. There's personhood there. We see the same thing in uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 44, verses 2 and verse 24. That, that, that the, the womb is, is a greenhouse or an incubator kind of thing where the, the baby is growing to the point that it can handle life outside the womb. But that person is an entity, that person is a person inside that womb. Solomon says the same thing in Ecclesiastes 11. But David articulates it the best. And the first passage that I want you to look at is uh, Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139. It's a wonderful passage. This is the classic passage that we would go through, go to. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed me, formed my inner inward parts. The the word actually is kidney. (laughs) The, 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 The working parts within me. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it right well. My soul. Notice that these inward parts. There's a soul there as well. That's a wonderful passage. And it's as though at this point, God is connecting all of the the DNA that makes up uh, a person is bringing it all together like building blocks. All of the components are there in in the womb. <clears throat> and so we know, and today we look at it, science tells us that the heart begins to beat within 18 days. Day 42, there's brain waves within that baby's Mind, there's brain activities and, and the features of that baby become clearer. Day 52, the baby can hiccup and yawn. Isn't that amazing? In eight weeks, eight weeks, there's organs that uh, are functioning within that baby. Nine weeks, there, the baby has fingertips. Now, fingertips, we use that for, or I'm sorry, fingerprints. So you you can take a fingerprint and that makes each one of us unique because we all have different fingerprints. Those are developed by nine weeks. By ten weeks they feel pain. By twelve weeks they can smile. It's amazing. And that's an act of God. God is actively working within that that little baby to produce identity. Identity. Personhood, we would call it. Number two, there's personality. And we see in Luke chapter one, in verse uh, Luke chapter one and verse fifteen, talks about John the Baptist. That uh, wonderful verse here, for he will be great, and this is talking about John the Baptist in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. There's already personality there. In fact, the Holy Spirit can indwell him. That's amazing. That the Bible talks about that, that little person inside that womb even before they are born. The third P is protection. And we see this in Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. And this is in the context of the Ten Commandments. Um, Moses is, is giving these commandments out from the Lord. In verse 22 it says, If a man is struggling, so you have two men struggling together, and each of them strike uh, uh, each other and strike a, a woman with child. So this is a pregnant woman. So that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. She, uh, he shall surely be fine. So there's a fine there. But because the baby lives then everything is okay. He, he pays a fine. Verse 23 says, but, but, on the contrary, but if there is any further injury, if that baby is, any further injury to that baby, then you shall appoint 
as a penalty, life for life. So inside that mother's womb, if that baby is killed inside that mother's womb, then that man's life is to be taken. That's pretty strong. In fact, it goes on. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Bruise for bruise. That's amazing. So what you see here is that, that life inside the womb is just as protected as life outside the womb. And from the beginning, from conception all the way to the end, life is precious and life is to be protected. That's what we see in Scripture. Life is to be protected. Now, someone pointed out, I, I noticed this week, someone pointed out that, that it, it, uh, in, the, in the unsaved world, it doesn't matter when life begins because that's not the real issue anyway. And he goes on to say that they're concerned about who lives, who dies, and who decides. That's where we are today. Who lives, who dies, and who decides. So then that makes it about power. That makes it about control. That means that some committee is going to somewhere determine if that person's alive, if there's life or death. And there's going to be manipulation. There's going to be power struggles. It's a matter of life and death. They're not living by principles anymore. It's just pragmatics. And we can determine who lives and dies. And folks, that opens the door for euthanasia. It opens the door for infanticide. If a person is mentally ill, they don't deserve to live. They can be put down. Old people. Brain damage. Doors wide open. Our, uh, one of our, our fourth, our third son, Colin. We were in California. <clears throat> California is not known to be a bastion of morality, Right? We were in California and uh, we found out that we were pregnant with with uh, our son, Colin, and they did ultrasound. They found some cysts on the brain and uh, I get a call from my wife. My wife says, hey, you you know, I know what they're going to suggest. I know what they're going to say here. Um, There's cyst on the brain that implies uh, there's it's Down syndrome baby. You know, what do we do? Uh, That was a no brainer for either one of us. We knew what we were going to do. But we knew what the doctor was going to do, too, because the doctor called her in or they wanted to talk to her. And, and they were going to suggest this is Down syndrome, baby. Let's just take this life. Let's abort this little baby. And it's sad. And I'm so glad we we didn't. The Lord gave Colin parents that had faith in God and God's word. And to kill a baby inside the womb, it's a life for a life. That, that baby is to be protected the, the term is not killing a baby. The term is murder. That's what it is. It's murder. And from, and we have to be very careful because there's pills out there, a morning after pill that can kill a baby inside the womb to, to partial birth abortion. And, and there's all this in between. And we're going to have to be thinking through these things. But what we want is to completely abolish abortion. There's no place in for it. There's no place in, in, in Scripture for that. Scripture is very clear that life inside the womb is just as protected as life outside the womb. Number four, fourth question. Who is responsible? Who is responsible to protect this human life? Who's responsible? Well, to understand this, I want you to understand, we have to understand a little bit about God. God is a God of order. 
And he has created and built order into his universe. Um, he, he, he created a world that would spin, that would create day and night. That creates order for us, believe it or not. That earth then rotates around the sun and that creates spring, summer, fall and winter. And he articulates that in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. God also categorizes people. We have young, little people, children, we call it. We have genders. God created these, this order. We have age. We have childbearing years. There's, there's uh, different milestones in our life that, that help to categorize us. God also established institutions, marriage, institution of family, institution of church, institution of government. And all of these have a responsibility. There's a certain level of responsibility. There's a certain purpose to each one of these institutions, certain limitations to each one of these institutions, certain rules of operation, you might say. God also established a nation that were that was to live by his rules to be an example to the rest of the world, Israel. We see that in Genesis chapter 12 and, and beyond. And on top of that, God instills within man a conscience, a, a right and wrong. We're not making this stuff up. We know right from wrong. We know murder when we see it. We know killing when we see it. And it's a compass within ourselves. We, we, can, we can sense these things. We know that this is wrong. Something's not right here. Now, God then, being a God of order, is not going to leave the protection to these little children up to just chance. And just allow millions of babies to be murdered like they are today. Someone is responsible. Someone is responsible. God gave man government. We look at Genesis, or, uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, chapter 13. Government for the protection of its citizens, the, to protect uh, the nation from harm. That would include, that would include children within the womb. But I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 9, because this is an important little point that I need to make. Who's responsible? Genesis chapter 9. In verse 5, I want to read this again. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast. So, so there's responsibility there. And I will require it from every man, from every man's brother, I will require it. Now, what is he saying there? So if, say, my brother would take a life, if my brother would kill someone, then it's my responsibility to what? To kill, to take the life of my brother. I'm responsible to do that. And that's pretty sober. And, and he broadens it out a little bit in verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, my, by, his, by, man's, by man his blood shall be shed, for he is in the image of God. And it's, it's mankind in general, we, we are to step up. And when we see these atrocities going on, when we see this murder going on, we are to step up and say, hey, no, we have to hold you accountable for this. You have to pay for this. There has to be a life for a life. Now, that's hard to do. Nobody wants to do that. 
Especially if it's a close relative like that. But, but somebody has to be responsible. Somebody has to say, this is God's word. This is the principles that we live by. This is just order in God's creation. And this is what God says. So we have to, we have to do this. So who's responsible? Well, in a nation that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, we are responsible. We, we can't just throw it off to some king that doesn't know what he's doing. No, this is a government that, that is of the people, for the people, and by the people. And essentially, we are accountable. We have a, a voice, at least. And in fact, he puts it squarely upon the shoulders of, of others. If someone takes a life, their life is to be taken. That's pretty sobering. I look at my own life and I think, wow, how, how do I handle that? That's pretty sobering. We cannot turn a, a blind eye to what's going on. Can you imagine... No one stopping Hitler. Just turning a blind eye. All the allies, American allies, World War II, just turning a blind eye and saying, ah, what's the big deal? No, no problem. Let's let him do what he, he does. We cannot turn a blind eye. Why? Because we're responsible. We're responsible. We have a responsibility. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? How, how does it fall upon me? Well, we have influence. We have the privilege of being able to have freedom of, of conversation. And we can start conversation. What do you think about that new abortion bill? And, and let's think through this thing on a, on a state level, on just a, a community level, so that we can have influence on this, uh, on this topic. And of course, then we, we can vote. Who are responsible to protect human life, we are, folks. We are responsible. And every life has intrinsic value. It's built in just because they're, they're human and they are to be protected. And the ball's in our court. This abortion thing is now in our court. It's on a state, state level. And I'm sitting back waiting to see how West Virginia is going to respond. I think it's, it's good so far. But we have a voice we have a voice. We, we need to be... And we have influence. And we need to be changing public opinion on this thing. This is black and white. This is a matter of life and death. This is important stuff. We can, we can change and soften the terminology, but it's still murder. And it's still important. And I'll close with just this, that... Babies are a blessing to the Lord, or a blessing from the Lord, and they're to be protected. We're to do what we can do within the law, obviously. The, the first thing is just have conversations, talk to friends and relatives and people, say, "Hey, what about this?" And then present the biblical evidence. The Bible has a whole lot to say about life, and, and then, of course, we, we vote. We do what we can do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the children that we have in this, in this auditorium right now, in our church. Lord, I thank you for the families that, that live by principles. The principles that found in this word. We live by faith, Lord. Principle of sanctity of life. 
Lord, may we live that out. May we live as though that is true. We cannot turn a blind eye. It's not a national thing anymore. It's a state thing. And Lord, we can, our voice can be heard even more now than ever. This is an evil. It's an evil practice. Lord, help us to think biblically on these things. Help us to speak with conviction on these things. And Lord, help us to do our part. We thank you for allowing us to share in the, in the rule of this earth. Help us to do our part. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.